Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And on our first episode of 2024, we're starting with a bang with a list reorder. Yeah, for those of you who have been around a while, I think you probably like remember our concepts of list reorders. But for anyone who's newer, basically what we do is periodically uh, we will go back through our lists um, and kind of shake up our rankings a little bit, depending on if there are films that maybe haven't stuck with us as much as we thought they would, or maybe films that at the time we didn't rank as highly, but we've like really come to appreciate more and just kind of like redo our list, talk about, you know, films we want to look back on, sometimes answer some questions, you know, that kind of thing. It's a, it's a little fast and loose. It's more, oh, absolutely. One of more, our more like chatty episodes, I would say. I always enjoy mm-hmm. them though. Me too. And it also gives us an opportunity to undo the mistakes of our past selves. So <laughs> what I mistakes I, <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. I boxed myself into a corner on many films and am glad to get out of that corner. Same. I think early on um, in some of our episodes, I remember us being like, oh, no, I've ranked myself into a corner or something like that. Um, so this Common is when we, we get those rankings out of a corner. <laughs> <laughs> So this episode, we did do something slightly new where we picked from each other's lists a film to revisit and rewatch and, you know, kind of talk about on this episode. Um, Also asked for some listener feedback. So definitely appreciate the input from you all. I think we each picked three films and then I posted some Instagram polls. So thank you for everyone who voted. Also, to our listeners, you guys are so smart because you ended up picking two films that like actually really complement each other and have very similar themes and go just like really, really well together for a discussion. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Not to mention there is a hard reference to one of them in the other, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, let's maybe just go through we can talk about like what three films we picked for each other and then what kind of what our philosophy was with that and then what we ended up watching. Yeah, sounds good. So for me picking for you, I definitely looked at kind of middle of the road picks that you had tended to bias towards films that were maybe a little bit earlier in our podcast recording, uh, just because I think it's really easy to fall into the recency bias trap with a lot of these films. And so some I really think merited a rewatch. And again, I wanted to avoid some of the films that I knew were going to be a slog. So I <laughs> uh, tried to be nice in that regard. Yeah, I had a very similar repro- uh, a very similar approach where I was kind of looking at the middle of your list. And I definitely, I don't think I chose anything more recent than the 1960s for options because um, that felt like it was far enough back kind of with the same idea of like being stuff that we haven't revisited in a while and might not be as fresh. I also tried to pick films that either maybe I had ranked a little bit higher than you or that I thought were like maybe a little bit more forgettable. Like there are films we don't bring up in conversation as much or refer to as much in like more recent episodes. Cause there are some films from very early on, like all quiet on the Western front that like, I don't think either of us needs to rewatch. I think we both remember it very, very well. And we bring it up constantly all the time. So like, that was one where I was like, we don't need to rewatch that. Also, while an incredible film, very depressing. So I also, well, they weren't the happiest films because there aren't a ton of those in Best Picture winners. I try not to pick something that was like wall to wall soul crushing. I will be honest. I would have flatly refused to rewatch Schindler's List. So I, oh, I'm not glad, like <laughs> tacit agreement. I think there was like a tacit agreement that we didn't watch anything that was like crazy, crazy rough. And then we also on an episode agreed not to pick an epic. So... And I'll be honest, none of the, like, I don't think any of the epics on my list really shifted all that much. Man, that's, I think I might have moved, gone with the wind a little lower. But anyway. Yeah, I think it it moved lower for me as well, actually. So all that is to say, I watched The Apartment and Maggie watched, uh, I believe, Grand Hotel. Hotel. Yes. Yeah. I think your options for me were Grand Hotel, Mrs. Miniver, and Wings, and uh, audience selected Grand Hotel. And then your options were A Man for All Seasons, The Apartment, and Lost Weekend, I think. You got it. I'm so glad it wasn't A Man for All Seasons. I would have been not thrilled. (laughs) I was kind of hoping it would be that one. But uh, yeah, you ended up watching The Apartment. So uh, how do we want to do this? Do we want to go like 
chronological or reverse chronological? I think you should start since it is the earliest of the two. Okay, cool. Yeah, also, uh, just so people know, we also both went back and not only watched the movie, but listened to our episode on that movie I'm to so try scared. and refresh ourselves. So scared on... to hear it. That was like our, what, like it was third our or fifth, fifth episode. episode, something like that. Grand Hotel was our fifth episode ever. So back in 2018, we were little baby podcasters. Uh, we were sitting around my living room coffee table recording these. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Honestly, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, uh, we d- we had a little bit of a different format back then, which was interesting, where we'd kind of like pick three or four major topics about the film we wanted to discuss and then kind of dive into each one. I don't remember what film broke us of that, but one of them did at one point. Um, but Grand Hotel, for people who aren't familiar or don't remember, is all set in this one Grand Hotel in somewhere in Germany. I don't think the city's ever specified, um, but it's basically us following this handful of characters, which includes a former prima ballerina who's kind of um, in the middle of a mental decline, played by Greta Garbo, a baron who has gambled away all his money and is trying to, at various points, steal from various guests, played by John Barrymore. It has Lionel Barrymore in one of my favorite performances as one of my favorite characters, ever the incomparable adorable kringle lion who is (laughs) just so cute but is a man with who um comes from like a a middle or lower class background and is terminally ill and has decided to kind of live it up in his last days the mr industrial magnet who owns the factory where kringle line worked um and a uh played by wallace beery and then uh, Joan Crawford as like a young stenographer who also comes into the tell into the hotel to work with uh, Beery's character and also flirt with John Barrymore's character <laughs> and become friends with Lionel Barrymore's character. That's kind of a basic synopsis. I would say like thematically, it deals a lot with like we're seeing most of these characters at their lowest point, either at their lowest point at the beginning of the film or they experience their lowest point somewhere in the film and it seemed the way I interpreted it this time around is it is very much a study of like how people deal with that and how people are dealing with like sadness and depression and the human connections that can help make these like really tough things better and also how like some people handle these things with like grace and kindness where you have Kringleine who's like like I just want to have like fun and I love people and like making friends with people and like really cares for others despite the fact that he's going through something terrible and his life has been upturned versus like pricing the industrial magnet who like something goes wrong for him he starts to feel like his life is getting out of control and going down the drain and his response is to have an affair and then kill John Barrymore's character at one point so yeah that's healthy so healthy. <laughs> so freaking <laughs> healthy. Yeah, I really enjoyed the rewatch. A couple of things that like kind of stood out to me. I will say in general, having listened back to our episode on it, my like general impressions and stance on it haven't changed a whole lot. I would say like I generally have a lot of the same critiques where like I think John Barrymore's performance is a little weak for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lionel Barrymore and Joan Crawford uh, really, really steal the show. I think Greta Garbo is really great in it. I still like the cinematography and set design and costume design are still all fantastic. Um, something I we didn't comment on it in our episode, but that struck me this time it was the like general lack of soundtrack and how sparse the sound design was. I mean, this is thirty two, so we're still like pretty early in the era of talkies you know we're definitely not seeing the same issues as we saw in broadway melody where like you can tell they're working around new equipment that they don't know how to work and block around yet but yeah it was odd there was like one bit where like a maid comes into a room and it is a little bit of a comedic moment because you have john barrymore's broken into the room and he's hiding and this like kind of very light little soundtrack pops in just for like a little (laughs) space of time that was really odd but other than that there like isn't a lot of score and like i said sound design's kind of sparse 
probably didn't register to us at the time because since we were working chronologically, we would have very much have just watched a lot of films like that. But that kind of struck me this time. Yeah, sounds like a, a very jarring thing. And I'm like, do, do you recall anything specific about the like Foley design or? Um, it just wasn't like there there didn't seem to be like filler noise. Mm. Like you would get like, um, obviously, like if a phone rang, a phone rang. If somebody knocked something over, somebody knocked something over. But there wasn't really like filler noise. So like when something din. like that happened, yeah, it was like a little bit more not jarring, just like noticeable. Huh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was interesting. And that's not something that I like normally, I think, would have registered with me. I also haven't watched a lot of stuff from the early 30s very recently. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm well, I'll be candid. I didn't I should have also rewatched it just to have a little bit more commentary and discussion points. No, but it's fine. I did not. I will next time. I think it's still on the the flight entertainment system on on Delta. I thought so. you watched it recently because when you I, were flying, I watched like somewhere. half an hour of it and then slept. That's fair. <laughs> so. I honestly, my on planes, I tend to not watch movies I've never seen. I tend to watch movies I have seen so that I can fall asleep in the middle of them and not be confused if I wake up. Oh yeah, but yeah, I will say the the really really standout things to me this time that I was like, man. Like, that was so good. Was one uh, Wallace Beery's character pricing as the villain. He's mm-hmm. a fantastic villain. He is so self-centered and self-important and, like, genuinely doesn't consider people who he considers, like, of lower class and rank than him. And then in contrast with that, one Lionel, Lionel Barrymore's whole performance in that film, but he has a couple of speeches to pricing mm-hmm. that are just so good and just like rip pricing to shreds in such a satisfying way. There's one bit where he calls him out on having married into his money, which pricing does not like. And I'm like, get it drunk, crinkle line. Yeah, he's very drunk as he just like lays into him in that scene and it's just so good. But there's... um. I didn't write down as many of the lines as I should have, but there's one at the very end where pricing is, I think it's, this is one of the drunk ones, I think is when Kringleine says, if one of your employees was half as stupid in a small way as you are in a big way, (laughs) which is so good. And then at the very end when pricing is like begging Kringleine not to call the police and tell like tell them that he's killed the Baron and like kind of wants to pin it on Joan Crawford's character and is like, oh, she like seduced me. Like, and he says to Kringleine, um, my life is hanging in your hands. And Kringleine says, what about my life when you had it in your hands? Because he talks about how like terrible the conditions were working for pricing. Previously. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple of lines like that. And like the, the scenes where like he confronts pricing are just they're so good and like both of the actors are giving like the best performances the writing in there is so good there are other points in the film where i found the writing a little bit lackluster and like clunky and the movie is based on a play so i will say like you can you can tell because at times it feels expositiony and there are bits where i'm like that kind of worked in film but i'd probably like it better on a stage there's also just some like killer exchanges in there as well Nice. Shall we talk about the apartment? Yeah. So the apartment is a 1960, yeah, 1960 film. It's categorized sort of as a comedy. Um, I think it, it verges into comedic drama at points, but tells the story of a company man played by Jack Lemmon, who has found himself in a situation where All of his superiors use his apartment for their extramarital affairs. Talks about kind of how he leverages this to climb the corporate ladder. But this is, again, put against a more personal storyline with some of the women involved, uh, specifically uh, Shirley MacLaine's character, Kubelik Fran, and kind of the fallout that happens as a result of, shall we say, moral gray area that Jack Lemmon's character finds himself in as a quick heads up does deal with themes of suicide. So maybe fast forward a little bit if uh, you prefer to not hear discussions around that. But ultimately I thought their handling of the subject matter was 
really interesting. I remember specifically like the scene around that with like yeah. her and the doctor and Jack Lemon, and I, I that that's a scene that like very much sticks in my mind. Mm-hmm. And they don't really pull away from it at all, which I, I think is a, a really important decision that Billy Wilder, the director, made. Um, there are some moments after that that are eh, felt a little bit like a caricature around Jack Lemon, you know, kind of cleaning out his apartment of things that could potentially be used to attempt suicide again. In, in the context of the story, it kind of makes sense, but that to me read a little bit less genuine upon further reflection. Again, narratively, felt it it fit pretty well in there. Ultimately, I found myself enjoying the film overall much more on this the second watch. And I don't know if it's just being post-COVID and having a lot of disillusionment with a lot of things around corporate America, <laughs> the kind of position that Baxter, Lemon's character, is in uh, kind of resonated more. And I was felt much more incredulous about his seeming inability to say no. <laughs> Definitely hit better better with that. Now, a lot of the critiques that I think we had in our episode also do hold up, which is, I guess, good that's for good to us. know. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, um, that's, I don't know. I'm proud of us. Yeah, same. And especially around kind of the mores of the time. And I mean, it was a late in the Hayes Code era, but still a code film. So some of the mores of the time are not super great. And especially the caricatures of the Dreyfuses. Like on the one hand, they they are somewhat of fully formed characters, but I, I worry they lean into some Jewish stereotypes at times. And I felt the pacing in the last third of the film really needed some tightening. But ultimately, uh, satisfying character arcs throughout the whole film, um, especially with Baxter and the way that he's learning what is truly important to him, as opposed to grinding up the corporate ladder. So performances were fantastic from both him and Shirley MacLaine. Uh, I, I enjoyed Fred McMurray, who was, he played arguably the main villain, um, if you could call him a villain, more, more like an antagonist. Sheldrake, the kind of director that uh, strings Shirley MacLaine's character along. So yeah, u- ultimately really good. I think some things that really stood out to me, especially with Lemon's performance, is his physical comedy. And so especially earlier on in the film, the way that he moves through a scene and the way that he ensures that we see kind of the absurdity of what he's doing. One of these days, I'm going to make you watch The Great Race. (laughs) (laughs) It's him and Tony Curtis and Natalie Wood. And he is his performance is undescribable, Ian. (laughs) well i will hold off uh don't feel the need to describe it but like he'll he'll be cleaning up after one of his uh uh what do you want to call him bosses is has used the apartment and is (laughs) imposing asshole immoral bosses your words i agree with them uh (laughs) the way that he opens the door while holding the tray or it's it's just really these little touches and in the more serious parts of the film he's able to kind of flip that on its head and communicate the gravity of the situation through through how he's holding himself which i know generally speaking I, i think of any sort of movie or tv medium as acting through your face as opposed to necessarily a stage where it's more of a you have to be more physical to really express what's going on but i I think jack lemon's able to do both in this which is is quite fun to watch yeah i i agree i remember him and shirley mclean both being like absolutely fantastic in that yeah, Shirley MacLaine has some beautiful subtlety in her expressions when you, you hit some of the, the darker moments around her attempted suicide. So it's Im- impressive to watch. Yeah, I think both of these sound like movies that we would definitely like recommend people watch with like caveats of like, there are definitely some very dark themes. Uh, Grand Hotel also deals with um, a suicidal character with a Greta Garbo's ballerina. She's fine, though, because John Barrymore is hiding in her room and she becomes very OK very quickly with a strange man who, quote, sometimes hides in your room. Yeah, I don't I, I like nothing about that statement, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he does save her life. So, oh, uh, but yeah, um, I 
what was the direct uh, reference to Grand Hotel in the apartment? Oh, this was a, a comedic moment when Baxter is able to finally get back to his apartment. He is eating a TV dinner, trying to channel surf and goes to a movie channel talking about this wonderful film, this classic with Greta Garbo. But then they immediately go to a word from the sponsors. He flips through a bunch of different channels and it is back to back to back to back Westerns. He finally rolls back around to the movie channel, talks about the great film they're about to watch, and then goes into a message from their alternate sponsors. So it was... That's so good. It was really, really good. That's so funny. It, it was entertaining. Yeah, I think both of these films, I think now that I think about it too, like as far as connections, so much of it, both of them is about like people dealing with abuses of power. Yeah. Which I, I think is really interesting. Where, of course, like you have, like I was talking about, like the Kringle Lion and pricing dynamic, as well as uh, Joan Crawford's character, uh, Flemshin, I think it is, and like pricing's dynamic as well. Like, that's a big, like, abuse of power situation. And then, of course, with the apartment, you also have uh, Sheldrake and uh, Shirley MacLaine's character, as mm-hmm. well as everyone in the company and Jack Lemon's character. So, oh, yeah. It's interesting. It's it's interesting on second watch. The uh, I still had the passing thought about how that was quite a banger of a Christmas party, like a questionably risky one. <laughs> but I, I felt yeah. less indignant. H, I remember. I you know what? Now that I'm coming back to it, I remember as being like HR would never let this fly. They would never, and it's an insurance company. So I. <laughs> It was funny, but... Oh, the 60s slash 50s. So I guess for me, to move into kind of where I moved it on upon rewatching it, it did move up for me about six places. Do you think that was also maybe a little bit of recency bias as well? As also just like over time, like I definitely... We've watched so many films. There are definitely some that like I forget or I forget pieces of. Yeah, I, I think some of that is recency related, but a lot of it is on the first watch, I didn't feel quite as connected to the characters as I did afterwards. And I I think some of that is a result of the additional cinema that I have consumed in the meantime. That was like 40 films ago. So <laughs> there's... Yeah, there's that would have been like episode number what? 30 33, something? I think was what it was. 32, 33. How was it there. for you going back and listening to episodes? Because like, I actually don't know if you've gone back and listened to previous episodes before. I There are a couple of our episodes that I have gone back and listened to. Nothing nearly as early as like the Grand Hotel episode. Yeah. And I was... There, you guys, <laughs> I was so nervous about it. I was like, do I want to know? Like, do I want to know? Like, on the whole, totally okay with it. There were some things that I don't know if we were playing it up for the recording or what, where I was like, why do we keep saying that? <laughs> but it's fine. I I still stand by the critique. And I think, like I said, agree with it still. Yeah, I think there were a couple of things in the Grand Hotel episode that like kind of made me chuckle. One of them was us like talking briefly about the Hayes Code and being like, we need to read up more on the Hayes Code because we like don't know as much about it. And like since then, we have both read up so much on the Hayes Code. We've had to talk about it in so many films. Like I'm like, we <laughs> we got there. We got there on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also, this will come into something later, but uh, I referenced that early in our run not being excited to have to someday watch Silence of the Lambs. You made it. You made it through. I, I am did proud it. of your mental fortitude. Thank you. Thank you. This will actually come <laughs> back up in a bit. But I thought that was so funny. I was like that early on. I was like, I'm so <laughs> not looking forward to having to watch a horror movie. So did Grand Hotel shift for you? It did. It didn't shift much. It came up three places for me. Okay. So it had been number 53. It is now number 50, which puts it just behind the deer hunter and just above Rain Man. I think with Grand Hotel, like I said, I I still stand by a lot of the critique we had with it. Mm -hmm. I do think the highs were higher for me this time. I'm sure like one first time around, like we definitely loved Kringleine, like going after pricing and we both I think commented on like how we felt pricing was such a good villain but on this second watch like I just appreciated both of those so much more and like yeah I don't know maybe it's that like I am also older and we're jaded now as well and so there was like something about that that spoke to me even more but so yeah higher highs 
But like there were still some clunky bits. There's still some dialogue that's kind of clunky. I'm still not the biggest fan of John Barrymore's performance in it. I think maybe I softened a little bit on rewatch, but like I would still say like it's not up to par with like a lot of other performances in the movie and a lot of other stuff that we've seen. Mm -hmm. But I would still say like solid film. Like if anyone was was to ask me like should I watch Grand Hotel, I would say yes. I yeah, mine the apartment was always in the qualified yes section of my list. It moved up, but because what was what were how many spaces and what was it moved up six spots to number thirty, so it's after Wings and before Unforgiven, pretty pretty middle of the road. But to kind of pivot a little bit, kind of the way I thought started thinking about my list with this is above a certain point, it's an unqualified yes. Next section is a qualified yes, then a qualified no, then a just leave it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. If if I'm recommending to other people. There are definitely some films that are high on my list that I personally will never watch again. There are definitely some films low on my list that I'm like... Also will never watch again. That's a fun... Well, there are plenty, but I also will never watch again. But there are also some that I'm like, "Mm, that's a fun little hate watch. Or like, like, you know, like it's a terrible film and I recognize that, but something about it fascinated me. I would would kind of agree with that, that sentiment. And I do think that like, you know, just because a film wasn't perfect doesn't mean I'm not going to recommend it. Right, right. So in that vein, uh, which of your movies climbed the most? Okay, so remember how I, in our our fifth episode on this podcast, our Grand Hotel episode, I was sitting there being like, I don't want to watch Silence of the Lambs. Oh no, was that the one that climbed the most? It climbed the most. (laughs) It climbed nine spaces. Whoa, so it went from uh, number 30, which like was still pretty high, to number 21, because I think about the movie all the time. <laughs> yep, I understand. Am I, slight, am I slightly scarred? Yes. Will I ever watch it again? Absolutely fucking not. But the staying power of that impact speaks volumes. <laughs> the staying power is really good. It's just an incredibly well-done movie. I really, really like Jodie Foster's character in it. I think she's a great main character. I think there's like a lot of themes. Well, it's definitely a flawed movie and we definitely had some criticism of it. I think like there are also some themes that like I thought it explored really well. Mm-hmm. I also like, I always like something a little bit different and like horror movies just don't win Oscars. So like yeah. having one that did is like really kind of fun. Also, and this definitely like does color the ranking a little bit, especially it moving up so much. I think it's one of my favorite episodes we've done. Mm. Like I really like yeah. that episode and I've had like a couple like coworkers or something who like found out we had a podcast and by find out, I'm like, this is my one interesting fact about myself or any sort of team building. <laughs> anything. <laughs> so I told them, but they, they would ask like, uh, you know, Oh, are you comfortable with us listening to it? Or like, if so, like, which one of the episodes do you recommend? I often actually recommend people like as an early episode to listen to our Sons of the Lambs mm. episode if they can like handle horror movie stuff because I do think it's just a really good episode. I think our critique's really good. I think you and I are both kind of on it comedically, weirdly enough, in that episode. So anyway, that's the one that moved up the most in a shocking twist. <laughs> I love that. So for me, it was a tie. And again, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the recency bias piece. Both of mine that moved are in the middle of the list. So the apartment moved up to place 30. And How Green Was My Valley actually moved up to 43. So Really? That's when I considered having you rewatch, actually. I considered that being in the list. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think really with those two... Uh, well, with How Green Is My Valley specifically, when I started thinking through the list in terms of that kind of format of absolute yes, maybe yes, probably no, and absolute no, it made it really clear where I think certain films should fall. And so that's really where How Green Was My Valley is a probably yes-like rewatch for me. And so that, that's really why I moved it up there. And it's like I couldn't, I, I couldn't, sit with myself having it below films like Dances with Wolves and Patton and The Godfather. So it. (laughs) That's so funny because I also remember you like weirdly really liking Patton at the time, unless I'm misremembering that. Um, I think you might be misremembering that, but let me make sure you're not misremembering that. 
Oh, my view. Uh, actually, no, no. I had it at like 23. Oh, no. I'm thinking it. of your unexpected love for Platoon. Oh, it it only grew with time. It, grew. it actually moved up two spots. <laughs> I don't fault you. Great movie. We'll never watch again. Yeah. Now, I think the controversial thing is going to be what dropped the most. <laughs> okay. Before so, we started recording, Ian was like, I'm not going to tell you. Don't be mad. I'm mad with myself, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. The one that dropped hold the on, most. Hold on. I'm going to take a deep breath and center. Okay. It dropped 10 spots to number 13. It happened one night. Oh. It was your number three, though. <laughs> it was my number three. It was really high. <laughs> I, 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 oh, and see, I, I, my, my poor heart is just dying right now because it, it has, that, that's a perfect film of I will always say yes. I will always yes. have a special place. I recommend it to so many people. I've shown it to so many people. Like, yeah. Oh. I just couldn't. I couldn't put it ahead of like Bridge on the River Kwai and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Silence of the Lamb. It's, and even Tom Jones for that matter. Because like Tom Jones to me is still really high, but it's inventive in a way that It Happened One Night isn't, even if It yeah. Happened One Night is delightful. Even though I don't think it's like, I don't think it's as strong of, like nearly as strong of a movie, at least in my rankings. Um, that's so funny. So, okay. So like, it breaks my heart. But also, I can't fault you for where you put it because I have it happened when night at number eight. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it, it's near the top for 72 films. Like, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I actually do, funny enough, have it a little bit above Bridge on the River Kwai. I do love Bridge on the River Kwai, though. But I, when I start hitting like a certain point, I'm like, and granted, it's never like super consistent, but there are certain films where I'm like, I love them both equally. And then I'll be like, okay, well, what are the reasons I love them? Which might push one above the other or something. And then there are also times when I'm like, okay, but which one of them am I going to want to watch over and over again? Yeah. Anything below about Space 20 is a pure matter of taste and it changes in the moment even. So this is all general. Oh, and did you say you've raised the apartment to number 30? Yeah. That's exactly where I have it. Like mine's. Like (laughs) mine. So what dropped the most for you? Kramer versus Kramer dropped the most for me. It dropped seven places. Um, It's still number 16. It's still high, but I had previously had it at number nine, which I remember really, really enjoying it at the time. And like, clearly I did. I have it very high, but I do think it's not one I think about as often as other stuff now. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely like some stuff I moved before it, like, to bring up Bridge on the River Kwai again, um, I moved Rebecca above it. I think about Rebecca a lot. It's like one of my faves. Um, I also, one that was like rough, like this may have been back-to-back years, mm. um, but Ordinary People. I moved yeah. both Kramer versus Kramer because in some ways they're similar in that they're both like very tight family dramas, but Ordinary People, I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. That's another film, very, very rough. Very, very good. I remember when I was watching it for the podcast, I was rooming with uh, our friend Sangeeta at the time, and she like came home from work and was like, oh, like what are you watching for the podcast? Um, and I was like, I'm about to watch Ordinary People. I was like, do you want to join me? And she goes, it's a fantastic movie, but I'm good. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. didn't realize that. I mean, that's that's a perfect, perfect it's, sum- Yeah, it's summary. a perfect description. Yeah, fantastic movie really really rough to watch um yeah i moved ordinary people up two slots and funnily enough kramer and kramer is now my number 20 down from 14 so yeah it's just kind of been a little bit more forgettable for me than other stuff Mm. so that's why i moved yeah i don't know i also it's interesting that the swings that i have in here because i also moved gone with the wind way far down and it's just the more that I think about it, the more I think of things that came after it, it just really suffers yeah. from a completely it's, uncritical look that its subject matter had of, you know, the Civil War. Yeah, it, well, it's steadily been dropping down mine, too, just because, like, and I remember at the, I think at the time we watched it, like, it is one of the, like, first, like, it is, like, the first big epic we watch, um, if you're watching in order. And it does feel like just a different scale mm-hmm. um, than a lot of the stuff that came before it. But like, it also has like steadily drops down mine as well. Yeah. So anyway, 
new top five. Did anything swap up for you? Um, yes. It's like not a huge change. So my top three are my top three and will always be my top three. <laughs> and that is Casablanca, Rocky, and Amadeus. Like, uh, bangers, everyone. Um, speaking of things where you're like, why do we keep saying that? I feel like that's something I've been saying in a lot of our recent episodes. So I'm like, it's such a banger. And I don't know why. You're a millennial. You're going to call it a banger. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't doing that previously. I'm like, who did I pick this up from? But so previously I had had On the Waterfront at number four. And don't get me wrong, still love On the Waterfront, another one I considered having you rewatch. Um, mm. But I moved On the Waterfront down a couple of spaces to number six, and then I moved Schindler's List up to four, just because, like, talk about a movie that stays with you. Like, one, it's technically impeccable. Performances are great. Some of the best cinematography we have seen emotionally wrecks you in every way you can possibly think of and incredibly incredibly tough to watch i don't know if i've i've probably the movie i've cried the most in yeah but yeah it stays with you so i was like i need i was like i gotta i gotta bump that up the other three i i will watch again and have watched again so that's why they're my number three and they're my favorite and then i also moved all quiet on the western front up to number five, um, which had pre- previously been six. So I just kind of like moved on the waterfront down to and bumped the other two up. All Quiet on the Western Front, again, like that's one that stays with me. And I'm also just like, I have to be so impressed because that's the third one we watched. Yeah, and it That was sticks. 1930. And it has stuck so much with us. We reference it all the time. Like I can still so vividly picture it. And it's also one that it's like, I so agree with its themes Mm. (laughs) and it's just so effective and incredible. Um, And then I had actually listened to um, there's a another podcast that is working their way through best pictures and they also cover all the nominees from every year. Oh, nice. Two. Shea Cinema. Highly recommend. They very kindly referenced us in their their Wings episode. And I think in their All Quiet on the Western Front episode, too. Um, But they recently dropped their episode on All Quiet on the Western Front. And I actually went back and listened to it. And that reminded me of, like, just how good that film was. And how how much of it, too. Like, there was stuff that they were referencing. Like, even in passing where I was like, oh, I can conjure that frame in my mind. Like, I know exactly what they're talking about. Like, it's still all there. Like, it, yeah. And that really just reminded me, like, how much that film sticks with you and how good it Mm -hmm. is. So, shout out to that podcast. They're great. Yeah. I think our top five, honestly, it's very, very similar. So, my my one and two didn't change. It's Casablanca and Amadeus in that order. I was so scared when you told me I was going to be mad that you dropped a film so much. I was like, if you dropped Casablanca out of your number one spot, like, I will hang up this call. I will, like... call the episode oh no i just know that we both have a weirdly strong adoration for it happened one night so that's why i said well well, (laughs) it's not weirdly strong it's deservedly strong it that's an interesting film where it's one that it's like i don't i would say like in the course of my life i've not run into that many people who have seen it or who Mm -hmm. or at least who like i know have seen it because we somehow brought it up in casual conversation but everyone i know who has loves it it's a gem it's, it's an unqualified so yes. So, so good. <laughs> um, but my number three moved up two spots and is Schindler's List. Uh, can't agree more with everything that you said. And number four for me is actually Platoon. So those two films occupy a very similar thematic and like mental bucket in my brain. Amazing films that I will never watch again with direction, sound design, cinematography that is unerasable from your brain now am i falling potentially into the weighty films are better like style of ranking movies possibly but i it's the staying power when i think they just spoke to you in a specific way like i think platoon was really really good i it's my number 25 it just didn't have the exact same amount of like impact on me that it had on you our platoon episode is actually one I have gone back and listened mm. to because I remembered I was like, I remember thinking it was really good. And it was like my way of like kind of experiencing the film again without having to watch it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, I'm like a very, we've talked about this a little bit. Like I'm a very visual person and like I have very vivid dreams. So the movies I watch will often like affect 
that and um there are some movies we've watched that i had nightmares after and when i say I had nightmares after i mean i actually had nightmares after i believe that that i woke up that i woke up and remembered so there are some films that like we've watched that are like really really tough and i'm like i don't i don't want to watch it again because like i know that visual will really really i don't think the visual needs a refresh it's already right. in there i don't want it as vividly in my mind but i do kind of want the experience of like exploring the themes of it again so then Sometimes in those cases, I'll go back and listen to our episode on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are my one, two, three, and four. And then Rocky dropped one spot to number five. It's in my top five. Um, Some other ones to note, like All Quiet on the Western Front is my six. So like we're, we're definitely in agreement on that. Overall, I had several films in my top 10 move up into them. Bridge on the River Kwai, good example. So. Yeah, mine was a little bit more of just like a little reshuffling among like the top six, really. But yeah, um, what about your bottom five? Any updates there? Or is yes, pretty- actually. Oh. So um, I, upon further reflection, decided that The Great Ziegfeld, while it is uh, kind of a trash film, was at times more entertaining than other films and deserved to be moved up four spots. Um, which meant when, when Louise <laughs> is it Reiner or Rainer? I can't remember. Whenever she was on film, uh, yeah. Or I mean, Very the like valid. Follies scenes, entertaining, fun to watch, but uh, everything around it, I was like, eh. Um, but then you place that against a movie like Cavalcade, and you're like, nothing was entertaining. <laughs> or Chariots of Fire, nothing was entertaining. So I also hate Chariots of Fire, but your hatred of Chariots of Fire is like special. Yeah, because it was sold. <laughs> with that Vangelis theme song to be amazing and exciting. And I was completely bait and switched. Like I did not appreciate it. So that's the one that's now in my bottom five that wasn't before, but that my bottom five in uh, descending order is a chariots of fire, all the King's men, Cimarron cavalcade. And of course our wonderful favorite, most recent best picture winner, American beauty at the dead last yeah. spot. Your hatred of that is also special. I understand both those hatreds, but like your brand of hatred for both of those movies is like a very special. I'm on a warpath. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love the passion. Well, and again, it's for me, if you promise an amazing experience and you have all of the trappings of an amazing experience and you have people like Thomas Newman doing your soundtrack and you fucking let me down. (laughs) Personally betrayed. Personally betrayed. (laughs) I... Not a whole lot of change in my bottom four. A little bit of reshuffling in my last two places. So I previously, my bottom five were All the King's Men, Cimarron, The Great Ziegfeld, Cavalcade, and The Broadway Melody. Um, I swapped Cavalcade and The Broadway Melody because The Broadway Melody, I have like considered, I haven't done it yet. I just haven't. But you've considered but rewatching it. I've considered it. <laughs> rewatching it many a time, actually, just to kind of like, again, I, I've wanted to like revisit and I'm actually really glad I got to do Grand Hotel because there are a lot of our earlier films that like I do want to revisit now that I just feel like I know more. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one I've definitely considered going back to. Cavalcade, I've not considered going back to. Like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't uh, we all? I also, that's one where like I also feel weirdly let down because I remember before watching it, I was for some reason under the impression that Cavalcade would be a musical and it's not. It kind of sounds like it would just the name sounds it like sounds it would be like a musical. It sounds like it would be a musical. Right. It is. Sadly. Don't get fooled, you guys. Don't get suckered into the promise yeah. of a musical and get a boring plotting family drama that goes through centuries and is honestly like super reactionary and we don't like. Yeah. Don't make the sinking of the Titanic about you. Um <laughs> I don't even get me on the Titanic theme. Ugh. But I did also, I actually did consider dropping uh, Great Ziegfeld below Broadway Melody as well, but couldn't do it because of Louise's performance. Mm -hmm. I also didn't want to do that to William Powell because I really like William Powell, (laughs) even if I don't think that's his best work. Well, you know, it's you work with what you have and some things are out of actor's control. And Myrna Loy is in it. She's in a small part, but I also don't want to do that to Myrna Loy, so... All I remember is that one scene where one of the set women is holding a giant fan, obviously to conceal the microphone. That That's the frame that sticks with me. <laughs> I love it. I remember the champagne dance with the champagne that comes out of the bedpost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. 
Cool. Any other like films you want to highlight as like stuff that like really stayed with you or that changed a lot or that you kind of like had to reevaluate? I definitely, I will say I had a lot of more recent stuff that moved down like a place or two because I was like recognizing my recency bias Mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah, I think overall the the tweaks near the bottom are less. It's more in my like must watch films where I, I did a lot of changing there. I think I've mentioned most of them. Rebecca went down five spots. Let's see what else had some changes. That one is a little bit more my jam than your jam. I mean, I had it really high at the very beginning, and I'm not sure. Like, I I still really enjoy that kind of like gothicy horror I'm a sort big, of thing. Ba- I'm like a big Daphne du Maurier person mm. too. I love her books. My favorite's Jamaica Inn, though, not Rebecca. Mm, not Rebecca. I do like Rebecca though. Mm. Well, and I mean, it's still number twelve for me. So it, it's not like it's low by any means, but. Yeah, when I think like my How Green Was My Valley actually fell five spots, but it's still number 27. Yeah. Like it's still in that would recommend kind of would recommend to like would probably recommend kind of area. Yeah, I don't know. I think really my skip it section is the one where it's like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable these. So it's things like My Fair Lady, Braveheart, GG, Godfather 2. Yeah. So. I, the one that's like, low for me but i am weirdly fascinated with and actually moved up two spots um is the greatest show on earth it's not good people like i just want i want to be very clear that movie's not good that's in my skip it section i'm sorry it's in my skip it section too (laughs) i also don't recommend that people watch it i am personally weirdly fascinated by it i I can understand the fascination and i have i have rewatched it can't explain can't explain Weirdly fascinated by it. I think that there's like a nugget of the story that I'm like, actually, that would be such an interesting story if they hadn't like so badly messed it up. Yeah. It's fun to watch a train wreck sometimes. It is fun to watch a train wreck sometimes. And there's a literal train wreck in that film. (laughs) There's a reason I use that turn of phrase. The circus train wrecks. (laughs) And then, then our main female character looks at the doctor who never takes off his clown makeup played by Jimmy Stewart and is like, I know you killed your wife, but I bet there was a good reason. It's because it's unhinged. That's why you watch it. I don't remember that part, but now I I sounds sounds like I might need to (laughs) like rewatch. I love an unhinged film. I one of my uh, coworkers was rewatching all of the Star Trek films, like the original Star Trek films, and he's like, I think I'm gonna skip. I think it's Journey Home, which is the one where they go back in time in San Francisco and save the whales. And I was like, Don't skip that one. That was the best one. And he's like, Really? (laughs) Isn't it about like whales or something? I was like, Yes, it's unhinged. It's the best one. Amazing. So um, I think that that's pretty much the the list reorder there. I did know we did want to talk about kind of where the 90s fell. Yeah, because we're not I know last time we kind of like ranked our decades. Ian has a numeric ranking system that I'm sure he'll go into. I go off of vibes. Oh, personally. no, it's literally the average of the rank for each decade. It's not that fancy. <laughs> I'm vibing over here. But yeah, let's talk about like kind of how we felt about the 90s in general, since that's the new decade we've covered since last re-ranking. Well, I felt positively. It's my number two decade. So 1980s is my top decade. 1990s is my second, followed by 1940s, surprisingly. So yeah, I would honestly, I think for me, 90s will end up being maybe third overall, surprisingly strong. Mm -hmm. I thought. Did not Um, expect it, but I'm pleased. Loses me a little bit with the very end and the very middle. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. (coughs) Braveheart, (coughs) American Beauty. But I would say in general, and Dances with Wolves, we were both kind of meh on, but like, I don't necessarily think it was like terrible. Yeah. But we had some very strong ones like Chandler's List. I know you and I both like Forrest Gump. Uh, English Mm -hmm. Patient was good. Titanic, Shakespeare in Love. So like some really strong ones. I still, my personal favorite is still 40s. I would say 80s is actually a close second for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So our top Mm -hmm. three are, are very similar. Yeah, I 80s. It, it's interesting that we like those, but they're also some of the most variable. So some That's of my top every films. decade, though, I remember looking back at every decade and being like, there is at least one film in here I adored and at least yeah. one film in here that I hated. I think my weakest decade is like 
maybe the 60s because it's just like really really weird that's when you had like so many musicals and it right. just feels the 60s best picture winners feel more out of touch with what was going on in wider film and also wider society than I think most of the other decades do. Mm -hmm. And then I would say like 50s, well, I was about to be like 50s was kind of weak, but it has All About Eve, Bridge on the River Kwai, Marty, On the Waterfront. But also Gigi. But also Gigi. Yeah. It's my bottom three decades are the 20s, the 30s, and the 50s. I mean, the 20s was one film. I mean, yeah, uh, two, right? <laughs> no. It's just, oh, yeah, I guess technically two. Yeah, so 29 and 60. So Broadway Melody really bringing that down. <laughs> really bringing that one down um, for you. But yeah, the 50s and the 30s actually flipped in ordering. Yeah. Um, so now I have the 50s above the 30s. Because like the 30s, I would say like the 30s is one of the weaker ones, but it still has All Quiet on the Western Front and it happened one night. Which yeah, we but both the rest of them are really adore. And Cavalcade. It does have it Cavalcade. Does have Cavalcade and Cimarron and Ziegfeld. That's what's killing And it. I really liked Life of Emile Zola, but I wouldn't say it's the strongest contender. Yeah, that one for me is extremely middling. 90s surprisingly strong. Let, now that we've talked about the decade we just did, shall we talk about the one we're about to do? Let's do it. How not looking forward I'm to I'm not it as are. optimistic. <laughs> I'm not as optimistic, which I'll be honest is probably partially why we were having, like, we definitely had scheduling issues last year, but I think also, so both of us were like, I don't want to go into the 2000s. Like, we just weren't excited for it. And I think really starting off with an almost three hour historical epic gladiator is not helping me want to do it. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to try and be optimistic. I'm going to hope it's not another Braveheart. It's like this macho, thin lack of characterization like, like an overly flashy. macho movie that acts like it's deep but like really is just kind of poorly made yeah that's kind of what it feels like but i'm gonna try and go into this one being optimistic i am a big latin nerd i took latin for years i'm hoping this one's either more historically accurate than braveyard than braveheart or so much fun that i don't care mm-hmm. if it's Either one of those, I think, will be in much better shape. Um, I'm also curious. I bet we're going to bring a lot of Ben-Hur comparisons into this one. I'm, Probably. I'm actually curious how much it's going to reference Ben-Hur. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's. I just know that that's not a film that is made for me. So it, it's. I'm going to have to be very careful. I feel like it could go... I feel like it could go either way for me because I do love an action film. But I kind of like an action films more when they're stupid. Yeah, there's some absurdity. Well, we'll see. Now, I am looking forward to both Chicago and Slumdog Millionaire, though with the latter, I'm concerned about it holding up. Yeah, I really liked it when I first watched it, which I don't think I would I have watched it right when it came out. I'm trying to think of how old I was. I watched it around when it came out, maybe like within the year. Yeah, maybe like maybe like a year after or something. I watched it. I watched it pretty close to it coming out. And I also remember really, really liking it. But I haven't watched it in a really long time. So I am worried it doesn't hold up. I do love Dove Patel, though. So I was going to say, I'm also excited to see Chicago. I, I've seen it before. I love the music. In my head, I remember thinking, like, I like the movie, but it feels like a weak Best Picture winner. We'll see how I feel when we get there, because that might not be the case anymore. <laughs> It'll be the first musical since the 60s? the 60s, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I know there are some specific years where I'm going to be angry because the wrong film won, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I there's definitely some of these I haven't seen and that I know more about reputation-wise than I do the film themselves. There's a couple that I have seen and I don't like. So there's one in particular, and I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a film in the 90s that I know many people love that I do not like at all. <laughs> and I'm, 
you know what? I'm not going to say at all. There are like a couple of things I like about it, but like in general that I like did not enjoy at all. Um, we'll see if that changes on a second watch, but uh, that might be one of the ones where that is a Maggie controversial film opinion <laughs> episode. I mean, we have plenty of those. So I also am not excited about finally watching the last film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> I'm not going to watch the other two leading up to it. I've seen them before. I will not watch them again. And I'm going to be obnoxious about Return of the King. And that's going to be fine. And we're all going to enjoy that, right? Just on principle? (laughs) Don't get me started. Oh my Okay. We're going to put a pin in that until we cover 2003. I'm not going to lie. A little bit on principle because we went to a a very nerdy college and a college that I'll be honest sometimes people would just like overly lean into the like I'm a nerd identity (laughs) to an extreme standpoint and a lot of people were rude to me about my dislike of Lord of the Rings that is a book that I've tried to get through three or four times and can't seem to get past it's like yeah I I love The Hobbit that was a great wonderful book I so I've never read the Lord Lord of of the the Rings. Rings book but The Hobbit, I have read, and I didn't like The Hobbit. Really? I, I just don't okay. like, yeah, I just don't like Tolkien's writing style. It doesn't work for me. I feel like he interrupts the action a lot, and then also mm. gives me a lot of information that I don't care about or need to know for the point of the story, which I think is what some people really like about him, which is yeah, totally fine. Um, I will say I've definitely enjoyed. I enjoyed the Lord of the the two Lord of the Rings movies. I watched a lot more than I enjoyed reading The Hobbit. <laughs> so like that's good. We'll see how it goes though. There is a movie, though, that is like one of my favorite movies that was nominated in 2003 and that I think is almost a perfect movie as far as like just well-made, well-structured, well-done movies um, that it beat out. So I will be a little bit bitter that year. Mm. Well, that's fine. So either skip that episode or look forward to it, depending on how much you care about Lord of the Rings or want to hear me not like it. (laughs) So, yeah, it'll be an interesting decade. So I guess what listener questions did we get? Yeah, last thing we did, I did post out for some listener questions. One of them we already kind of answered around which movies we kind of reevaluated the most. We definitely talked about like which ones fell and rose the most in our list. And then also, of course, we both deep dived one of our old movies as well, uh, which I really enjoyed doing. That was really fun. Yeah. But our good friend Mike on the Cinemusts podcast asked, what do you consider to be the essential best picture losers, AKA got nominated, but didn't win? Mike, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) It's such a good question. I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to have the same one. Uh, Hold on. Let me uh, make sure I'm looking at the right one. There is one that immediately came to mind for me. Yeah. Are, do you want to say it, at, like count down and say it? And I swear to God, we didn't coordinate this. Are we saying the movie that we think should have won? Yes. Okay. Ready? Yep. Th- three, two, one. Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> yep. 1964. Doctor Strange Love gets beat out by My Fair Lady. And I think I think there are like several years, and we kind of go through some others too. There are several years where I'm like, oh, I would have preferred for like this movie to win over this one. But I still understand why the one that won didn't. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, it was a bad film. It's like, oh, that's down to personal taste. My Fair Lady is not a good film. No. Doctor Strange Love is so good. <laughs> if you wanted to do a musical in that year, Mary Poppins was far superior. But like, like of the of all the nominees that year, My Fair Lady, Beckett, Doctor Strangelove, Mary Poppins, Orb of the Greek. Like, Strangelove is the film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the one that wins that year. If you want to hear more about that, I did actually guest on Cinemust talking about Doctor Strangelove um, and had a great time. So you should definitely check out that episode where, like, Mike and I get into, like, the nitty gritty of, like, why Strangelove is so great. But that is always the one that, like comes to mind for me as like I was so upset about like that not winning and simultaneously so upset about what beat it mm-hmm. I, I do think that there is a close second to that uh in Raiders of the Lost Ark versus Chariots of Fire Ooh, it's another yes, that really, one also like, essential really bad <laughs> we did a special episode on Raiders as well I think uh to reward ourselves for sitting through Chariots of Fire. That one, yeah, that one's a one that really, really hurts because Raiders mm-hmm. is so good and such a classic. 
And I, I think for me, the last one is the Sixth Sense versus American Beauty. Like we've already talked about my intense hatred for American Beauty. And yeah. compared to so the masterpiece that was that reveal in Sixth Sense, like... Once again, thank you to everyone who Ian's ever interacted with for not spoiling <laughs> Sixth Sense for him. Continue to do that. Continue to do that. I guess like a couple others that are kind of big ones for me as far as wins. I'm bummed that going my way beat out Gaslight in 44. I like Gaslight. It's a very atmospheric. Going my way, I like didn't enjoy that much. Mm-hmm. So that one kind of gets me. You know which one I'm not necessarily mad about but that i'm very conflicted on sunset boulevard versus all about eve and they it's that same like atmospheric drama yeah. in both of them it's and it's i think good. i think personally i might be a sunset boulevard girly but i can't like i can't i can't say i'm mad about all about eve i mean it's in my top 10 like it's a great film too but yeah, they're definitely, I, I think for me, what I've seen, it, I definitely bias later in the <laughs> Oscars. If you couldn't tell by the ones that I was like clearly unhappy yeah. about, but. Yeah, there's also a period of time where like I haven't seen a lot of the other nominees, so I can't really speak to them. I personally wish To Kill a Mockingbird had beat Lawrence of Arabia, but that's purely a personal preference thing. I can't say that's necessarily a movie quality thing. Yeah, that's definitely fair. That's not the one I'll get like, I'll rant about after like a couple drinks. <laughs> like, strange <laughs> love in my fair lady is. Now to like move in a slightly different direction. There are some of these nominees that I'm like scrolling through right now that are insane. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was nominated in the same year as On the Waterfront. And while I love Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. It's not a best picture. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is a film. Okay. So I don't know if anybody else who like grew up watching old films has had this where like there will always be plenty where you're like, I like that film, but I don't agree with everything in it. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, heavily problematic. Just so many brother cousins happening. (laughs) (laughs) They literally kidnap the seven brides for the seven brothers based on a like misreading of Plutarch's lives. But that scene, the barn raising scene and like the dance sequences are so good. And the songs are actually like really good. (laughs) And I love that film and I think it's really fun. But I definitely uh, showed it to my old roommate, Tegita, what time was And I was like, we're going to watch Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. (laughs) This movie, heavily problematic. Also, funny, delightful songs. One of the best dance sequences ever, and people do crazy acrobatic shit. So I was like, "We're gonna watch it." And she was like, "I don't." At the end, she's like, "I don't know how I feel about this film." I was like, "Exactly." (laughs) So yes, wild that it's a best picture nominee. I think. Anyway, well, that is our our reorder. Hopefully, we are able to not find ourselves in a conundrum too soon we will. it'll we, happen well, <laughs> uh i think maybe we should just start doing this maybe once a decade i think we're gonna start doing it forward. at the end of decades i like reflecting on a past decade mm-hmm. and i think we should maybe keep our revisiting stuff uh definitely like let us know in social media comments um dm us uh email us uh we are best pictures pod on instagram and the platform previously known as twitter best place to contact us now is probably instagram um, but you can also email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. That was it, right? Yeah, you got it. Okay, cool. I s- weirdly, my brain halfway through was like, bail, bail. And I was like, why? I think you got it. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Like, did you enjoy us revisiting the old films like that? Like, is that something else you would like to continue to see us do in these list reorders? Uh, we appreciate your feedback. And we appreciate everyone who tuned in for this episode, who voted on which ones we got to rewatch. Like I said, you guys picked like two really good ones and two that paired really, really well together. Oh, sorry. We did have one more listener question that I forgot to ask. And that was um, from good friend of the podcast and uh, many times guest host Lola. She did want to know uh, who loves Lola more. <sighs> one of us is going to see Mean Girls with her tomorrow and the other one isn't. And that's all okay, I'm going to you know, say. One of us lives a four hour flight away from Lola. <laughs> and whose fault is that? Uh, not mine, since I'm not the one that moved away from him. 
clearly I'm not the one who is victim blaming Lola. So I love her more. I think this is what we've learned today. I don't know. The fact that I'm willing to fly that far on a semi-regular basis to see her, I think is... Because you work for an airline. Hey, it's still time. (laughs) Anyway, yes, thank you for... (laughs) Thank you for everyone who uh, listened. Uh, We will be back next time with our first episode of the early 2000s winners, Gladiator. Stay tuned we'll for see how we what feel. Happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. I've decided. That's you know, optimism is always good, even if you're you're going to be. Are you going to be ca- recklessly pessimistic? Um, can one be recklessly pragmatic? I feel like that's a bit of an oxymoron. But anyway, <laughs> with that, we will say hmm. goodbye and <laughs> join us next time for 2000s. The Gladiator.